0: to tell you today, God is for you and God is a restorer. He wants to restore the broken things in your life. It's clear in the scripture that God loves to take our messes and give us a message.
1: Did you know that God is in the restoration business? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The topic of restoration is all over in our culture right now. Think about it. We have an entire network of shows dedicated to restoring old things. Today David talks about the nature of God's power to restore our lives in part 1 of a message called Restorer.
0: We are beginning a new series entitled Even Though Blank God Is For Me. Romans 8:31 Paul says that very clearly, my God is for me. I know this. So even though blank, and I'd like for you to think through over the next weeks what might be in your blank. Some place where you're broken, you know your life's a mess, even though might you dare to believe today and for the next weeks and for the rest of your life that my God is for me, God is on my side, he's not against me. We're going to look at the themes of four major understandings of God This series, for I believe that you can't have faith unless you understand the character of God. Our faith is rightly rooted in the character of God. So today we're going to look at God as a restorer, next week as a redeemer, the third week as a rewarder, and the fourth week as a rebuilder. Four terms that are used by Jeremiah chapters 29 through 33 to describe God. But today we're going to look at God as restorer. I'm fascinated with the reality that restoration is a huge topic in America today. It is found on all kinds of different TV programs, especially reality programs. For example, there's one called Counting Cars, a guy called The Count, tries to find cars that are a bit disheveled, broken down, worn out, and he tries to restore them and flip them for a profit. I mean, he's actually driving down the street in the program, and he'll come up to a stoplight and see a car that he likes, and he'll go, hey, dude, hey, dude, pull over. And they'll pull over, and he'll go and say, man, I really like your car. And he'll bargain with the guy to buy the car on the spot. Then he'll take it into his shop, Restore it and then flip it for a profit. It's a fascinating television program. There's also called Renovation Realities. Uh, and that's the whole program of finding a house that needs to be restored and a person going in, buying it, restoring it, and then flipping it for a profit. It's a huge, hugely successful program on HGTV. Uh, then there is American Pickers on the History Channel. Have you seen that program? It's a couple of guys who drive all over America in a white van, and they go to these little ramshackled farms or wherever and try to find different things that are broken down, supposedly worthless, and then they try to purchase them for a small price to restore them and then sell them for a profit. Fascinating program. Restoration is big business in America today. Well, I want to tell you that God is in the restoration business that God loves to take things that are tattered, worn out, and broken down and restore them. For those of you who know what your blank is, even though blank, I'm here to tell you today God is for you and God is a restorer. He wants to restore the broken things in your life. It's clear in the scripture that God loves to take our messes and give us a message. God loves to take our messes and give us a message. Would you say it with me? God loves to take our message and give us a message. Now, where do the messes come from? I think Luke the 15th chapter gives us an insight into the three causes of our messes today. There are three different parables. One's the parable of the lost sheep. The second's the parable of the lost coin. And the third one is the parable of the lost son. The first one, the parable of the lost sheep is a sheep who leaves the 100 sheep fold and wanders away and then must be sought out by the shepherd after the sheep has wandered away. Now, the Bible tells us that sheep are the dumbest animals possible. So this sheep wandered away because of a dumb, stupid mistake. A lot of our messes are caused by the fact that we're dumb and stupid. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We just make dumb, stupid, careless mistakes. We're like sheep without a shepherd. Secondly, the lost coin is dropped by someone and it rolls into a dark corner can't be found. And I think that represents our interdependence as a people on this planet. In other words, we're connected with one another, aren't we? And sometimes other people's stupid, willful decision hurts us. What do you do when your spouse, beyond your control, says, I'm out of here? I don't want to be married to you anymore. What do you do when your boss, beyond your control, says, you're fired? He says, you're fired. You don't control that. What do you do when the doctor says to you, you got a disease? There's a lot in our lives that happen that's beyond our control. We're interdependently connected to one another. So some of us are lost because we were casually dropped by somebody else. The third one's the lost son. He looks at his father one day and says, I want my inheritance right now. And in wanton, willful rebellion against his father, he takes his inheritance, runs away, spends it all, and ends up in a pigsty. Some of us are in pigsties today because of our wanton rebellion against God. God has given us his parameters for how to live life, guardrails on life's highway to protect us from not going off on the side and getting into pigsties, but many of us have said, no, I want to live life my way. And we have rebelled against God, and because of that, we've ended up in the pigsties. But whether it's because of our stupidity or being connected to other people or because of our willful rebellion against God. The truth is, all of us have messes in our lives. We're like the pre-restored car or home or other little gadgets. We're broken, tattered, worn out, tired. And even though that mess exists, my God is for me and he wants to restore me. Can we say that together? My God is... For me, and He wants to restore me. Now, no place is this better understood than with the nation of Israel. And I probably ought to stay here too. That the person behind all of our messes is really the evil one. John ten ten, it says, "The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy." That's Satan's job description. He loves to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus' job description is to give life and to give it to us abundantly. The evil one wants to kill, steal, and destroy. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Satan is called a pelion, the destroyer. So behind our messes is really one who wants to make our lives a mess, who wants to destroy us. But God wants to redeem us and restore us. And again, let's look at the nation of Israel as one of the examples of how this happened or didn't happen. Now, real quickly, for those of you who don't know the Bible, please hear this. This book is not a rule book. The Bible is not a rule book. Now, it does have rules in it, those guardrails for how to rightly live our lives, but this book is a history book. It's God's story. It's his story. It's history of how he created this world, Genesis 1 and 2, made it perfectly in every possible way, how we rebelled against him and invited sin into the world and caused this world not to work the way it's supposed to work. And God then deciding to restore and redeem and rebuild this world by calling a man named Abraham who formed a nation called Israel. And then Israel is in a captivity in Egypt And God frees them and takes them to a mountain called Sinai, and he enters into a covenant with them. And and in this covenant, he promises to take them to a promised land, but he wants them to live by this covenant. And this covenant includes the book of Leviticus. Don't you miss the book of Leviticus? (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed it at some level because it's a tough book to understand, but when you get it, it has tremendous spiritual insights. Well, in the book of Leviticus chapter 25, when God makes the covenant with Israel at Sinai, he says to them, when you enter into the promised land, if you obey what I desire you to do, and you be my people, and I as your father, and you as my children, desire to be my children, you will have extraordinary blessings come upon you. A plentiful number of crops, your children will be blessed, your land will be blessed, you will be blessed. But then he says in a warning, but if you disobey me, Mostly like the prodigal son, if you stiff arm me and live in wanton rebellion against the way I want you to live, there will be curses that come upon your life. Your crops will not be plentiful. Your children will suffer harm. You yourself will have difficulties. And then he says, the ultimate judgment that will come upon you by your disobedience to me will be a captivity. A foreign nation that's godless and pagan will come upon you and take you away. Now, the Bible is the story of that happening. From Judges through the historical books, it's about Israel rebelling against God. Then the prophets from Isaiah through Malachi are the prophets, God's chosen instruments, coming to the Israelites and saying to them, basically Leviticus 25, if you continue down this road of imbibing the godless pagan Canaanite culture around you, if you continue to participate in idolatry and not putting me first in your life, if you continue to disobey me and what I've commanded you to do, this curse of Babylon coming upon you is going to happen. And of course, the Israelites, in their disobedience, refused to listen to the prophets. And ultimately, that's exactly what happened. The nation of Babylon, a godless pagan people, came and took the Israelites into a 70 year captivity. Why 70 years? The book of Leviticus said to the people, when you go into the land, every seventh year, give the land rest. And they went into the captivity and stayed there for 70 years. Why? Because they had been in the land for 490 years, and they had never given the land rest. So God said, if you won't give the land rest, I'll give the land rest. He took them away and they were in the captivity for 70 years. Now, again, the Bible's a history book of that story with God and His people Israel in the Old Testament. And what you need to do as you look at the New Testament, find God's history with a new entity called the church, you need to find your story in His story. You need to find your story in His story. It it may be in the call of Joseph when he's in the prison, but the promise of God to be a prince. Uh, It may be in Moses in the wilderness when he doesn't have any hope. Wherever, Wherever it may be, you need to find your story and God's story, and particularly in the story of Israel. Perhaps you're going through a captivity time right now because you've made a mess of your life. And even in that mess, God is for his people. Over the last year, I've been, spent a lot of time studying the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapters 1 through 28, it's the woes that God pronounces upon Israel through Jeremiah because of their disobedience and a continual warning that the Babylonians are coming. But then in chapters 29 through 33, before the woes continue in chapter 34 through the end of the book, there is a continual flow of promised restoration to God's people. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29, what God says to the people through Jeremiah in the captivity, now, they're away in the captivity, they're in this parenthesis of God's perfect sovereign plan. Jeremiah writes a letter to them. He's not present. He writes a letter to them in chapter 29, and here's what he says to them. First of all, you're going to be there a while. Secondly, build homes. Thirdly, Marry your kids off. Fourthly, pray for the prosperity and the redemption of Babylon. Can you imagine? These Jews are in a Jewish ghetto. Thousands of miles from their homeland. And God says, through Jeremiah, build homes, marry, get your kids married, and pray for the prosperity and blessing of Babylon because God knew. That if Babylon becomes prosperous, the children of Israel will become prosperous. Then, and only then, does God, through Jeremiah, speak Jeremiah 29, 11. That verse that so many of you have tattooed on your coffee cups. (laughs) That you have as placards on your dashboards of your car. Here's what God said then. Remember, they're in the captivity. They're in a timeout, 70 years there. It's not a pleasant experience. And God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And listen to this. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from the place where you are in exile. I will restore your fortunes, a promise of restoration amidst their mess. In fact, in chapters 30 through 33, this theme from God through Jeremiah occurs over and over and over again in their mess. Let me read to you some of these promises. Jeremiah 30, verses 16 and 18. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey upon you... I will make a prey. Now, now this is good news for the Jews because they've been captured by the Babylonians, taken into captivity, not treated well, and God says, you just need to know those who've treated you unjustly, one day I will treat them justly. They will get their due. And that was good news to the Jews, and it's good news to you and me too. For those of you who've been hurt by another person, that person will face the justice of God one day. And you need to believe that and cling to it. They don't get by with it. God promised that to his people. These, says the Lord, behold, I will, what? Restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, that's Israel, and have a compassion on his dwellings. Jeremiah 31, 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities when I, what? Restore their fortunes. Jeremiah 32, 44, when they return back to their homeland after the 70 years, God promises fields shall be bought for money and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, for I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Jeremiah thirty three eleven, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, For the Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is good, my dear friends. Jesus called God, Abba, Daddy. Daddies who really love the Lord are good daddies. The Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. Then the prophet Joel, again in his warnings, then says this, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. Job 42.10, everybody loves to study the crises and problems of Job. But it seems to me like too many students of the book of Job stop at the end of chapter 41. And we just love to relish in Job's pain. But nobody, or not nobody, few people, really want to move into chapter 42 and listen to these words. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then Isaiah 61.7, the prophet Isaiah prophesies... Instead of shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy.
1: This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to continue our conversation about his latest Davidism. We'll be right back.
2: What does the Bible tell us about the end times? The Bible is a book about soteriology, your salvation, redemption, and eternal life. David Chadwick has made an informative video called The End Time Prophecies. From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, God's Word is revealing facts about the times we live in, as well as the second coming of Jesus Christ. We would love to give this video to you as a resource to equip you to help you understand the history and prophecies of the Second Coming found in the Old Testament. In this video, David covers the validity of Scripture, Jesus' First Coming, and how we can have faith in His Second Coming. This video is a compelling account of the foundation of the Christian faith. To receive your free copy of this video, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. Again, go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener for your free copy of this informative, educational video from David Chadwick. End Time Prophecies from David Chadwick. Get yours for free today.
1: I'm Jen Houston and with me today is our pastor David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. My
0: pleasure, Jen, always good to be with you.
1: Well, thanks. We are back with another nugget of wisdom, which you call a Davidism. Can you tell us where these came from first and and talk about the one that's called, do your best and give God the rest.
0: Yes, Jen, these are little phrases I've learned through the years listening to my dad, my mom, coaches, mentors, even friends, some in reading material that I'll jot notes down on and I've forgotten long ago from where it came, but I've said them in messages. I've had people say to me all the time, please put them down on paper. Mm -hmm. This is our attempt to do so via paper, but also radio. Mm -hmm. And I'm appreciative of this opportunity to share them.
1: Well, we really like them. I I appreciate what you do share through these. Thank you. Well, they're
0: easily memorized and that's Mm -hmm. the reason they're so powerful, I think. And today's is do your best, give God the rest. Let me say it again, do your best, Give God the rest. You know, sometimes, Jen, life is hard. Hmm. Other times, it's easy. And sometimes, it's life is hard and easy at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) But no matter your current life situation, always do this. Your best. Then, give God the rest. We do our very best when we forego our human tendency to be self-reliant. Instead, we make a decision to rely totally and completely on God. Scripture says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he, God, will make your paths straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Our job is to do our best, to do our part, that which we're able to do obediently, excellently, passionately. After that, we trust God with the rest, with our looming questions, unseen answers, unknown outcomes. It is then when we trust God by giving him the rest that we're exercising our faith. And the writer of Hebrews said it well in Hebrews 11, 6, when we do this kind of thing, it really pleases God. When we diligently seek him with that kind of total unyielding faith, he says, well done. He likes that kind of faith. So our lives need balance, a healthy understanding of the difference between our job and God's sovereign oversight when we do our best efforts. And that balance, I think, Jen, can be found when we say, do your best, then give God the rest.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. And the word that jumps out at me in this is the word excellence. Mm -hmm. You know, excellence is not perfection. God is perfection. And this just invites God into what what we can offer is our best.
0: Well, God gave each one of us different gifts, Mm -hmm. and some He gave more than just one gift. Some are five-talent folks. Others are two-talent folks. Some have only one talent. The issue isn't how many talents do I have. The issue is, am I using the talents that God gave me to Mm -hmm. the best of my ability for His glory? So my job is just to take those talents and to try to magnify them as best I can. Mm -hmm. It's the Lord who comes to me and says, you know, you took those five and used them well. I'm going to give you five more. And then the two more. And then the one he condemns is the one who hid his talent and mm-hmm. didn't do anything with it. So we're just called to take what God has given us and do our best with it. Then trust him with the outcomes, trust him with the rest. And when we do so, I think the Lord is graciously pleased.
1: This is so good and such a light yoke. Thank you so much for this today. Yeah,
0: thank you, Jen. And all you listeners out there, do your best, give God the rest. And also realize if you'd like to receive these daily Davidisms, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They'll arrive. Arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. from my heart to yours free of charge just to begin your day with a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to check out David's weekly HopeCast. It's free and available through our website. Also, be sure to check out David's End Times Prophecy video. It's free for our listeners. Just go to momentsofhopechurch.org backslash listener. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for those recovering from COVID-19.